the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. The future will be amazing. And that's all well and good. But what about today? You can feel the rush of a 400 horsepower Nissan Z. Or climb to new heights in the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. Light up the road in the all-electric Nissan Aria that feels like a sci-fi dream come true. The future will be great, but today is made for thrill. All you have to do is get in a Nissan and drive. 2023 Aria and Z not yet available for purchase. Expected availability is this spring for 2023 Z and this fall for 2023 Aria. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Welcome. I'm so glad you can join us on Mission Evolution, where we bring the latest knowledge from today's leading experts to support your evolutionary process. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll discover legacy, bringing all that you are. In choosing a career, we tend to decide what we want for a job based on how much we can earn doing it. We then acquire the education required and bring that education to the job. Soon, we identify with the job title, leaving most of the rest of ourselves behind. What would happen if we were to bring all that we are into our professional lives? How would it be received? What impact would being totally present have on those around us? With us this hour to discuss the healing power of presence is Herb Stevenson, a.k.a. One White Horse Standing. Herb bridges the world of business and... um, spiritual healing. He's an author, trainer, management consultant. Herb has published 26 books on various aspects of banking and business and is on the faculty of the Gestalt Institute for Cleveland, where he teaches in both the clinical and organizational centers. As a part of his effort to reclaim his Native American heritage, Herb has spent the last 30 years exploring, developing, and teaching skills in indigenous practices. His website, healingdin.com. Herb, thank you so much for joining us on Mission Evolution. Thank you, Gwilda. Good to see you again. It's good to see you as well. So um, tell us a little bit about your career in the business world. Well, it was kind of interesting. Um, probably about 45, 50 years ago, <clears throat> I graduated from college, needed a job, and as I like to say, uh, the bank needed a warm body. And because uh, I wasn't trained for banking, uh, it ended up being I stayed 22 years in banking uh, as a consultant, 15 of it, seven years is inside a bank. And um, it's very successful. Uh, as you said, I'd, I'd written a variety of books in the banking industry and um, became a consultant. It did turnarounds for those who are old enough to remember the savings and loan crisis and the banking crisis that happened in, after Ronald Reagan 
deregulated the banking industry. Um, I turned around uh, failing banks. I became quite good at it. So that was the core of uh, the beginning. And then I had a shift to where I started forking out into various branches of actually who am I or who do I wish to be? So um, part of it was is I uh, decided to leave consulting from a point of view of being a specialist in banking. And I started inter being interested in uh, executive development. And that's what I've been doing the last 30 years. But during that so, same time, go ahead. Um, how did you, have you always known that you have Native American heritage? Yes. Uh, I was raised with it with my, um, my families. Uh, a lot of families uh, who are biracial have Native American heritage, don't like to claim it. And so um, it was, it was really interesting because I later found out psychologically, this is what that people do sometimes. Uh, I would be threatened when I was misbehaving that I'd be sent back to the Indians. So it's like, that's a bad thing. Uh, but my mother, it, it didn't seem to work because her comment was, is no matter what, I was the one who still wanted to dress up and be the Indian and why everybody else wanted to be the cowboy. <laughs> so uh, what happened is, is th this was the litter turning point for me. When I was 38, I went to bed one night and you have a, a profound lucid thought that says, I could die today because I had accomplished more than I ever thought was possible in my life. And it was a very comforting thought. And I went to sleep and then I woke up the next morning and that's when my whole world started changing saying is, is okay, you've lived the life that you were told you're supposed to live, but who are you really? So it was like an existential crisis in many ways. And, but it led me to force myself to look at how did I get to this point and what is it do I wish to create? And out of that, I started developing the process that I use with executives, or any type of the training and programs I do, because I actually run four different types of businesses, uh, is supporting people to be more fully who they are. Not who they're supposed to be, but who they really are. And so... so how, how did you, where did you, did you study in the indigenous practices during this time? During that period, I was claiming my heritage. So I started um, studying, meeting people, um, scaring my family. My family was terrified. They still had a core ancestral belief that if we claimed our heritage, they, their literal phrase was bad things would happen. Fortunately, that got healed and, and there's, then there became support. Um, but yeah, I studied quite a bit, uh, learning as much as I put, could, studying ceremony, uh, learning that, and learning from a teacher that you don't ask a lot of questions, you just watch. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So within that, when did it start to occur to you that, well, here's my heritage and here's my job and how can the two come together? Well, it, it, as I explained to my family one day, and then it became pretty much the mantra that I had for myself. If I fully claim who all I am, the rest of the world will probably fall in line. And uh, I found that to be true, and that's what led to a lot of understanding about what is presence. If we have a fear that I won't be accepted because I'm not doing or looking the way you want me to look, then people will probably pick up on that energetically. So when I decided to uh, fully claim my heritage, I realized there will be people who are biased because when I did leave the consulting practice as far as uh, banking goes, uh, 
there was a big uproar within my company and and because I was part of another company and a big uproar in the banking business. And I had such things as people asking me is, is, well, your people now instead of her, I'm your people. Do your, are your people baptized and all sorts of strange things happening. And I uh, realized uh, I, in a way, stepped off a cliff. But on the other way, I realized I created freedom. So when I left, it said, what do I want to create? And that became the, the whole driving force of, of how I ended up developing all of these various uh, businesses that I have because I run an 80-acre horse farm. I, I have a, a global consulting practice. I teach a, a healing a practice called a healing den. I do. I teach Native American under one white horse standing. And then I also have for 20 years taught men how to be present by taking them into nature. And I do that. Uh, I've been doing all those for about 20 years now, except for healing den. That's brand new. It's five years old. So it sounds like what you've done is taken the teachings that you learned from your um, heritage mm -hmm. and then brought them into some a form that would be useful for people today. Very much. I Everything I do, whether I'm teaching in any of those areas, including if I'm working with executives, I'm teaching presence. And most people think if I'm present, they don't realize the difference between a head dragging a body behind it and being fully present. And when I help them experience that, it changes it. Would you tell us what you mean by presence, please? Presence is the capacity. Uh, the simplest way is, is if you can shut your mind off of all the rules that tells you how you're supposed to behave or how you're supposed to respond in this moment and just be in the moment. So one of the things that I, I do for myself is, is I, I, two things I tell executives. One is, is to learn presence, is they have to take a deep breath. And for one minute every day, they have to look at their spouse in the eyes with soft eyes and say nothing. And they also have to do with their children if they have children. And the typical response when they do that is, uh, they feel vulnerable, but their, their family then responds saying, what are you looking at? And the response is, I'm looking at you and I'm not, I don't do that enough. And within a week, people are waiting to see if you're going to continue to do that every day. And they come home looking for you to look at them. And suddenly the visceral experience of connecting, which is presence also happens between the family. Number of executives that change their whole family like in their dynamics with the children that are just using that simple process is quite a few of my clients. The other way I teach presence is to take the time during a day and look outside and just imagine what it would be like to sit in that cloud and just practice it. And what happens is, is our body naturally wants to open up to what's available to us in life, nature. Uh, but we go by making meaning out of it, just using our head and not being just simply quiet, observing something. It's a very similar technique that a lot of people teach about how to see auras as you with soft eyes stare at something for a long period of time. You suddenly see the energy evolve out of it. It's the same type of thing. So how much does being present have to do with being present in the present moment? Well, tremendously, because um, you can look at almost all the research. Uh, Siegel, a variety of others have written about this, about presence. And, and the 
presence uh, is what are you focusing your attention upon? If I'm focusing on the rules of how I am to be a good business person or to influence or manipulate somebody into doing something, I'm not, I'm only present to my methodology of what I'm trying to do. But the presence I'm talking about is just being in the moment. So a phrase frequently used is, is being in the presence of what is present. And that is a whole range uh, from simply being, I'm seeing you sitting there to I'm beginning to experience you uh, in a completely different way. Uh, one of the ways to talk about it is, is when some people feel intimate, they're combining vulnerability, safe vulnerability with conscious awareness, and there's an energetic connection that goes between them. And most people can relate to that. So you have to be vulnerable in order to be open and then you have to be open in order to have intimacy. Is, is that the progression there? Energetically, yes. Um, because intimacy is the coming together of two people at that place that, if, for lack of a better phrase, that we have protected and hidden because society said, well, you're not supposed to behave this way or you're not supposed to feel this way or, or you're supposed to act this way. And when you take those things out and you're just in the moment, like two kids or two young people falling in love, they don't know that what anything else is going on in the world. Now we, we just want to say, well, they're lost in love. But what is that energetic connection? So you have to be present in order to, to tap into that. But isn't there an awful lot of stuff standing between us and being present? Yes. A lot of damage and emotions and unprocessed things? Welcome to civilization. <laughs> so that's part of what I teach is the unlearning of all the rules. And I constantly come back to people and saying is, is if you could have what you want, what would that be? And the interesting part is, is a lot of people have no idea. I think most people have no, no idea. I mean, we've been taught what to want and we continue to be fed uh, programming about what we want through advertising and everything else. How do we step out of that enough to find what we want? Part of it, slow down, slow down. I, meditation is something I really support for everybody. So the more that an individual, I have some executives that I, I work with and I point out, if you can meditate, which is just sit quietly for a minute a day for a week, I would be happy. And they find out it's difficult. And, but some of them then suddenly realize, wow, I feel better when I do that. Just sit quietly and don't do anything. Just even focus on my desk or something sitting on it. I often suggest put a picture of your family in front of it and just focus on looking at them and feeling the presence of why that photograph is important to you. So that's breaking the rules because in business, that's a slacker. You're not working. You're not doing the things you're supposed to do and all those type of compliance issues. And um, so a whole lot of, of learning presence is required to unlearn a whole lot of what, as you said, what society taught you. So, I mean, we've been conditioned from the get-go to to toe the line, to be a particular way. In or, and, and our parents, meanwhile, they're trying to teach us how to get along in the world. So it's like starts from pre-verbal, really, doesn't the conditioning? Oh, completely, completely. And a lot of it is very painful. Uh, there's a phrase for it. It's called pro-social humiliation. And it's where we, in essence, humiliate our children into behaving in certain ways. And so the, the difficulty for all of us 
is if you've ever experienced that, like a pro-social humiliation, uh, you don't want to go near that. So you've kind of forced yourself into this box of this is acceptable and don't go out there. So what I try to create is environments that makes it completely safe to explore something other. How, how do you how do you create that? Um, I mean, a bunch of people coming together, we're all bringing this baggage. How do you make that first step towards communion? Well, part of what I do is is it, 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 almost all the trainings I do, whether I'm I'm in Dubai doing a, a training for a large oil and gas company or anyone else, I set the training up in a circle as much as possible, if not a circle, at least three sides. So now we have to be relational because we can see each other and just slowly get used to, to that. So that's, that's a part of it. And then I begin to ask questions. Um, and I point out to him is, is, is uh, you're going to tell me your public voice, which is, is what you're supposed to tell me. But over time, by the time we're finished, I hope to get to your private voices. What's that other voice saying to you in the background about what you would really like to answer as and getting used to paying the attention that you have both. And it doesn't take too long for suddenly somebody opens up. And, and as I refer to it is, is nobody died when we used our private voice and talked about something that was important to us. Like a lot of executives wait until they retire to go back to doing art or various things that they love. My question is, is why wait? How well is this received at first? I mean, if you're, if people are people required to be there or is it voluntary when you're working in a business setting? Uh, sometimes it's, it's uh, required, but generally I try to, to have them put it in as voluntary. Um, Cause uh, let's, let's use the example of, which is a, a, a little more day to day, which is when I'm working with corporations, I'm well aware I have to teach them some very strong executive development skills. But part of it is presence, is what does that look like? So it's not all teaching presence or putting people into vulnerable positions. It's teaching them that with a certain level of presence, what ends up happening is you're more effective. You're more relational. Um, I refer to this frequently. Uh, it's not meant to be uh, negative, but a whole lot of executives make it to the top um, because they're just extremely skilled but not necessarily in interpersonal relationships. So go ahead. Once, once you start having a person delve deeper into what they would like to say or what their, their heart would say versus what their conditioning would say, do people sometimes melt down? Do they have problems with that? Uh, for the most part, no. Um, I work very hard. It's not saying it hasn't happened. I have had that happen, but, uh, I, I maintain a very non-judgmental approach and uh, keep create safety. I walk over and ask them, "Is there? Would you like to step out for a moment?" Uh, this happens, um, and I normalize it. If they do step out, I normalize it. That you know, uh, I, I might say something, but but for the grace of God, go there, go I, because it can happen to anybody. I've had men men come have a, a reaction, and part of it is. They've been holding so tight, so long to be who they're not. When an opportunity that happens, you can have a, a release. And so what I work is very carefully to make sure that the field is safe. The, the field, describe, we're about out of time in this segment, but describe what you mean by the field. I think that's an important point. The energy and the container that I'm holding with these people is a, a lot about 
presence. And so to be safe is they have to know they're not going to be judged. And that's one of the rules that I put out there by is, is we don't judge each other. What we do is, is we're trying to all learn and support each other to be better, more effective. And um, so that's part of the, the rules that I do uh, for what we're trying to do. Got it. Well, it is that wonderful moment that we'll need to take a little pause. Herb and I will return very shortly. So please don't go away. This is Mission Evolution, www.missionevolution.org. enjoy paranormal sci-fi romance yet find yourself tired of the same old themes and storylines then you won't want to miss Kahir O'Donnell's latest exciting release to taste you again alien lord Kane McKean knew the moment that his destined mate was born he watched from afar waiting for her to grow from child to woman however before she was old enough she was stolen from her home world by flesh pirates Kane searched ten long years to find her held in a suspension chamber a ten-year-old girl in a woman's body. He rescued her and swore to give her time to grow up, but with his very life depending upon winning her as a mate, has he waited too long? Get your copy today. To Taste You Again by Kahira O'Donnell is now available on Amazon or kahiraodonnell.com. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Hello again. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. With us this hour discussing becoming a healing presence is Herb Stevenson. His website, healingdin.com. Herb, we were just talking about presence and how challenging it can be to come into a place where you can be present. Don't you have to be present with yourself first? And what does that process look like? 
That's true. Um, the hardest part uh, for most people to learn about presence is to slow down enough to witness themselves. So one of the things that I work um, with different individuals is I, I use the phrase pause, reflect and choose. Pause, reflect on, you know, checking in, what am I experiencing within myself and then choose what the behavior is based on whatever it is I'm facing. It's highly effective for executives who are used to being a rapid fire machine gun type of blast and interrogation. And when they pause, reflect and choose, I, I teach them to slow down and be more of a presence. And, and as a result, they actually, their effectiveness goes up. So that's the simplest technique. The other one is oftentimes, if I can get people to meditate for five to 10 minutes, they begin to witness their own thoughts and they begin to realize I am not my thoughts. They're just flowing through. And the impact of it is, is, is we begin to one, observe ourselves, and then two, witness that we are actually something separate. And that as we do that, we begin to realize in every moment I can choose who I wish to be. And so when, when you're working with this, I didn't mean to cut you off there. When, when you're working with this, are you actually, we have these neurological ruts of behavior, if you will, and it's just a knee-jerk reaction. This stimulus, we respond in that way. Is that pause giving you time enough to make a different choice if it's and discern if a different choice would be more appropriate? Yes. Uh, after I teach this process, and this has been consistent now for about 15 years, and especially with executives, as I point out to them is if they do pause, reflect, and choose, and in fact, I have many of them just put a little sticker, a stick-up note on their desk that says PRC as a reminder. What will happen is, is that first they don't pause, reflect, and choose, but they'll realize they should have. And that starts to change the neurological patterns. So wherever you focus your attention is how you start building neurons or neurological pathways. And so it does work in that sense. And I'm teaching them how to focus their attention in a different way, giving them just little practical techniques like PRC uh, to do that. Um, as they go further, I teach them there's four different ways to um, uh, or a series of patterns of how to listen. Uh, often people listen for 20% of what somebody says. They assume they know what the rest of it is and they answer based on that, creating mass confusion, frustration, many divorces. <laughs> so so listening, listening is a skill that um, I've been trained in the native way. And listening is a skill that's very much a part of most different tribes uh, heritage, isn't it? Very much because listening in a tribe, it's disrespectful to not listen to the full story. So it's more dialogic. Um, so the idea is, is everybody uh, speaks, but it's not a debate. It's a listening and then sharing your voice and out of the evolution of sharing different ideas, uh, a common understanding or a broader understanding that didn't exist starts to evolve. And so that's why uh, I teach a lot of times I refer to it as dialogue, but it's a type of active listening. Whereas as, uh, we get to a point of I'm saying is, is as you listen to this, what is the essence behind what's being said? And at first it's like, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, let's just try it and, and experiment. And, and what is the essence behind what's being said? The result of it is, is that also teaches them to witness and observe and to uh, make different choices than what they've been told is the right way to do it, whether it's listening, speaking, being 
uh, a formidable, strong CEO versus somebody who's more collaborative. Uh, we are so rule-based. It's a wonder we don't choke ourselves off. Seems like we are. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like what's going on here is you're totally in a receptive mode when you're listening. And then your response is reflective listening, like based upon what you took time to hear them saying versus what you had decided ahead of time you were going to say next. How does that change the interaction? Well, there's more respect and civility. It's not a win-lose. It's it's uh, how do how do we come to common understanding? And so that's that is a completely different approach. Um, most most businesses, but most people on a day to day basis is uh, put conversations into win lose or just sharing of information. And we're not really even necessarily paying attention to a simple process. For example, in any conversation, it, it helps to look the person in the eye and saying, this is what I understood you to say. Is that what you said? That immediately tells them you truly listened. And that changes the relationship. It's just not two talking heads. It's now somebody who's actually paying a, a whole lot of attention. Um, when I work with people, sometimes individually, I've had them say is, is I've experienced that is the first time I've experienced somebody literally listening to me. And it shifted them because they're used to being this exchange of talking out here instead of somebody taking in and, and, and playing back to them what it is that they heard and, and how that they made meaning. How much is coming from the heart involved in this versus coming from the head? Well, in truth, presence comes from the heart. Um, that's why there's so many new programs that are coming out are heart-based. Uh, the Heart Math Institute, as an example, is their meditations are to help us get present by coming into our heart and turning off our, our mind. So the mind is the rule-based self. And the heart is our true self is, is the way it's spoken about in, in traditional terms. So that would be the thing that I would suggest most people to, to think about is, is how do I get centered in my heart? Now, the interesting thing, what we talked about earlier, when I am vulnerable or I allow myself to be vulnerable and I'm present, I have conscious awareness of that vulnerability, I can be more intimate, which means I am probably more heart opened. Well, we're, we're fragmented, um, terribly fragmented. So we have these, we have a persona for our work. We have a persona for our family. We have a persona for our church. We have a persona when we're just sitting alone. What happens when you start to merge these? It sounds like that's what's going on here is you're starting to merge all these different personas into authenticity. What starts to happen when, when you do that? It's, it's a mix of things. One, I don't have to worry about am I behaving properly according to whatever the role is. So what happens is, is the relationships deepen across. Uh, and um, so I, I, when I work with businesses, I mean, it's the same as when I'm at home or I'm, I'm working with other groups. The language might change slightly because of what we're teaching, but it's still the, the basically the core is the same. So... Um, I'll give it from a personal point of view. I have more just plain contentment because I don't have to worry about who I'm supposed to be in different environments. 
It's it's like telling the truth versus lying, isn't it? You don't have to keep track of your lies when you're being authentic. True, which means I don't have to make sure that I'm behaving within the appropriate guidelines. Uh, I'll give you an example. I uh, I went to a, I was working with a, a high powered um, investment research firm, and um, so the first time I, I when I go meet, if I'm not sure what to do, I'll, I'll put a coat and tie or I'll wear a suit. But the second time I show up like this and I'll, I'll probably wear a sport coat with it, but I've got blue jeans, cowboy boots, and this is, this is it. And his first thing is he says to me is come this way. Every time you, there's something about your presence that's different and that I can relate and relax to more so than when I, when you come in as a business suit. Now, Think about that. If that's universal, we wear business suits. We put on our armor versus somebody who come in in a more lack, relaxed and casual environment. I think that's why business casual has evolved. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. I'd like to back up just a little bit. You've talked several times about um, um, meditation, but meditation isn't necessarily a native practice, is it? Isn't it more Eastern? Well, formally we could say that, but... Um, Learning to um, go inside yourself is, is, is very much a core process of a whole lot of a ceremony from Native Americans. So, for example, sweat lodges, you go into the darkness and the heat and uh, you go through the some people go through the first process of, oh, my God, it's dark and it's claustrophobic. And they take a deep breath and they start settling down. And so you create the environment of. I'm just listening to my heart instead of my mind. Um, so in a way, ceremony and, and rituals actually bring us into a meditative state. It's very similar. They also spend a lot of time at nature, which is sitting by a tree and just paying attention to nature, which often opens us up to a broader experience of that's how, how they know so much about animals is they observe the animals and all their behaviors and then they translate that into how can I be fully who I am like that animal is. So in, it's not just in indigenous cultures. And when I say meditations, um, I'm extremely eclectic. I'm a voracious reader. So I, I've read massive amounts of old spiritual texts, Gnostics, um, Christian mystics, a lot of Eastern philosophies. Because what I came back to is, is everybody's teaching the same thing. They're all saying the same thing. We need to get present. We need to get centered. Uh, if we do, it's it's the road back to our true self. And um, so that's what I do. As you see people incorporate this being present with yourself and therefore being present with others into their family lives, what kind of changes happen? We get thank you notes from their family. Really? Literally, I've gotten thank you notes saying, I don't know what you did, but I've got my husband back or mm -hmm. I got my wife back. Uh, same with my men's program. I received notes from a, a, a spouse that she said, um, can I send my husband back a second time? The first time was so good. I, I hope to get more. Um, when we're present, we're available. As you use authentic, the impact of it is, is instead of this facade of who I'm supposed to be and my responsibility, let's just say it's in the family is to be the breadwinner or however that's all negotiated. What ends up happening is, is we, we just find out that we can just be who we are and we can slow down and, and 
and uh, if we're that same person at work as we are at home, there is no shift or worry about what we bring home. We just bring our authentic self home or we take it to work. When you do that, do you find the people around you um, have permission to do so themselves? I mean, does it start to change uh, the way people are around you? Yes. One of the things that's coming out of all the spiritual texts, uh, people want to read some of this. Uh, Dan Siegel talks about this in a lot of his book about meditation, self-awareness. David Hawkins does. Um, presence is contagious. So what happens is some part of us realizes this person is safe and they kind of drop down into their body further and they actually feel their feet. I often tell people, if you're not present, you have no awareness where your feet are. You can't feel, feel them on the floor. You know, have no awareness of the energy in your seat. Uh, you're just up here in your head and usually with all the stress in your neck and shoulders. So presence changes all of that. And it's, it literally becomes more contagious because people uh, have always said this to me is there's something about you that calms me down. And that's presence. And you, you, you speak of healing presence. What do you mean by healing presence versus just presence? Well, I started paying attention to working with clients. And as you said, occasionally people would have meltdowns or they would have a sudden shift and their whole facial expression would change and their shoulders would drop and I would ask them questions and it was just being present holding them where they were and what I found out is is when we are fully present and we invite them to join us as I said presence is contagious old memories or old things that we've frozen into our body release and we don't have to do anything. Now, the beauty of that is, is that's totally self-empowering. It's not me being a healer to do something to them. I create a space and they show up and, and um, find out that they can begin to release old memories or frozen parts of their body uh, from trauma or various other things. And it's fascinating because it, it goes into the science side of it is we're all pure energy. It's just we have parts of us, our, our cellular memory or our physical memory is frozen from trauma. And we know this from all the various psychological theories that talk about how do I unfreeze your traumas? And so I'm saying is instead of doing a laying of hands, what if presence is so powerful that it not enables somebody to actually begin to release and remember things that, that are no longer serving them? So it's about that time for me to ask you, Herb, what is your mission? Uh, my mission is interesting because it goes back 30 years ago when I, I suddenly, I spent a lot of time just trying to understand what is it that, that gives me pleasure and, and, and is a, uh, like a mission statement. So I, I literally focus on supporting others to be more fully who they are, similar to my own journey. Uh, if you look at it on my website for Cleveland Consulting Group, it says uh, unleashing executive and organizational potential, which is corporate language for saying the same thing. And so I literally that's that's why I do what I do. And, and I, it permeates everything I do, I, whether it's the Native American teachings, the Healing Den, men's program, corporate. And uh, that, that's my, my vision or my driving force is supporting others to be more fully who they are. 
What do you think the world would look like if people do more of that? Probably wouldn't have wars. Wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah, I mean, what happens is, is a lot of present society is right or wrong, good or bad, you or me. And we take the or out and it's good and bad. It's you and me. It's it's it could be right and wrong. It, it really doesn't matter, but it eliminates the dualities. And so I'm able to relate to you just the way you are. And I've tested that in going to foreign countries. Uh, I'll, I'll meet with the indigenous cultures and they'll say, you're not like any American we've ever met. And I'll say, what's the difference? And they said, you listen and you're very present to us and you want to understand us. Don't we all? So it's just a matter of conditioning that we have lost that, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Very much. And, and and stepping out of that conditioning, that's a huge chore, though, isn't it? It's hard work. There's, there's mm -hmm. no, no question about it. It's hard work. Uh, uh, <laughs> a lot of people who know me, I'm laughing because I often get complaints as this is hard. One guy called me an emotional terrorist because I was asking him to look at some things he didn't want to look at. And now he's, you know, he, now when I see him, instead of biting comments, he comes up and he wants a big hug and and he's totally changed. So, yes, it is difficult because the problem is socialization is very painful and it's very painful to unravel. But if we can stay present, it's easier to unravel than when we originally learned it. And that's what I try to support people to do. When we learned it, we were children and now we're adults. It's a matter of stepping out of the victim stance, really, isn't it? Stepping out of the victim. And one of the phrases that I use to people is if you stay as the adult and go look at what happened in the past, you'll release the past. But if you're as an adult and you give up yourself and go into the memory of the past, you're right back into your wounds and your suffering and you'll never get any place but your suffering have to get beyond our stories. Well, unfortunately, we are, we are out of time. Herb, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts with us. My pleasure. Well, good to see you again. It's wonderful seeing you. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Our guest this hour has been Herb Stevenson. Herb brings the words of world of business and spiritual healing together and has spent the last 30 years exploring, developing, and teaching skills in indigenous healing practices. His website, healingden.com. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka. For more information or to enjoy past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Please. Be sure to join us right here next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our rapidly evolving world.